All right. Welcome to RUF. I want to welcome you again. My name is Jason Sterling, and I am the RUF campus minister here at Sanford. Uh, I just had my seven-year wedding anniversary uh, this summer. My wife, uh, her, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's right. um, my wife's name is Susie. We have uh, two daughters. I have a two-year-old girl and a one-and-a-half-week-old. Uh, girl, and her name is Elizabeth, and my two-year-old's name is Kate. My wife and I are both Sanford graduates. I graduated a long time ago, and um, I went to seminary and then came back here in 2005, and my wife and I have been doing RUF for the last two years, so we're starting our third year, and excited about uh, getting to know you guys this year. Uh, I want to introduce a couple other folks to you. This is, yeah, the first meeting. you got to do this kind of thing, so bear with me. I want to introduce Blake Hodges. He is the RUF intern. Stand up, Blake. He's the first ever RUF intern at Sanford, uh, so we're thankful to have him. Yes, this is his full-time job, believe it or not. And his wife, Lindsay, if you would stand up. They got married August the 11th, so they're newlyweds. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, I want to introduce a couple other people that are going to be helping out uh, this year. Uh, they love RUF, and they are uh, going to be helping us. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor here on the wall. She was an RUF intern at Texas A&M. She's going to be hanging out. Bo Collins in the back. He's a recent college graduate. He's going to be uh, doing some things with us as well. David Driscoll, he's a seminary student here at Beeson. And I'm uh, missing one. Where's Betsy? Betsy Childs, raise your hand again. She works over at uh, Beeson Divinity School, and so you'll see her around campus. They're going to be helping us with different things, so if they say hey to you and want to get together for lunch, they're not stalkers. They're, they're, they want to serve you. They want to hang out with you and uh, help, help in any way they can. So um, I realize that some of you have never heard of RUF. You've never stepped foot in an RUF large group meeting. And so I felt like it was important for us to take this first meeting, and, and I'm going to talk more about it in just a minute, but take a, the first couple minutes just to tell you kind of who we are. Uh, we're obviously a campus ministry, and one of the things uh, I want to get across to you and what we want to be as a ministry uh, of RUF on this campus is we want to be a place where you can come no matter where you are, no matter how bad you screwed up, no matter how bad you've messed up, and come here and experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. We want this to be a place where you can come and not feel like you have to have it all together, because no one has it all together. I don't have it all together. Every one of us is are broken people, desperately in need of Jesus and His grace. And so, one of the ways... Uh, we want to create that type of community is through our small groups. And so I encourage you, if you're an upperclassman, Leah announced this, there are sign-up sheets in the back. Uh, David's going to be leading one of those groups, David Driscoll. And then Alan Hallbrooks is going to be leading one of those. And then you sign up for those. But if you're a freshman, come to our house. You don't have to sign up. Just show up and we'll have fun. So don't worry about signing up if you're a freshman. Just come. Uh, and those groups start next week, not this week, but next week. Also, along with small groups, let me say this. Uh, other aspects of our ministry are large group, which is this. And we meet every Monday night at 8 o'clock right here. So come on anytime. And then we have one-on-one discipleship. 
And concerning that, I just want you to know that I want to meet you. I want to get together with you. That's why I'm here on the campus. I want to get to know you so I can know how to pray for you and how I can serve you. My wife Susie and I want to have you in our home. Yes, you can come over, bring your laundry, visit, hold my daughter, and play with my daughters, both of them. They would love it. And so, if I text you... Or if I call you or Facebook you, yes, I'm an old man and I'm on Facebook, but hey, everybody's doing it. Um, Don't freak out and think you're in trouble. You're not in trouble. Everybody at the beginning of every year, I I call them and they're like, what do you call me for? And I just want to get to know you and I want to serve you and minister to you and help you in any way I can uh, while you're here at Sanford. And so it's just to hang out and heck, I might even buy you lunch. So, um, but that's enough. Enough of that for now. But if you have questions about RUF, what it is, go to our website. It's on the sticker, or find me. I'd love to talk with you more about it. This semester, we're going to do something different. Normally, I do just preach through the books of the Bible. Uh, just pick a book and preach pretty much chapter by chapter. Uh, this semester, I'm doing something a little different. We're doing more of a topical thing, and doing uh, dating, marriage, and sexuality. I do that once every four years uh, here at Sanford, and it's a hot topic. Uh, but this tonight, we're gonna we're gonna put that on hold until next week. So if you came expecting to talk about sex, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll do that soon. Uh, but tonight, I feel like it was important since a, this is a lot of you, your first time here at RUF to talk to you just a, a little bit about what RUF is. Uh, what's important to us as a ministry. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what we're all about. And to do that, I'm going to use 2 Timothy chapter 2, or sorry, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And so if you have your Bible with you, please turn to 2 Timothy. It's in the New Testament right before Hebrews. And if you didn't bring your Bible, don't sweat it. There's a handout that should have the passage for you. Uh, uh, there right in front of you on the handout if you got one of those in your seat. There are four things that we want to see happen in your life if, if, as you're involved in RUF. We want to see this happen corporately, as a ministry, but also in your lives individually. And this is actually taken from Ephesians chapter 4. But uh, the first thing is, is we want to see you grow uh, in, in grace. We want to see you grow in the knowledge of who God is and what He came to do through His Son, Jesus We also, the second thing, we want to see you grow in missions and evangelism while you're involved in our ministry. We want you to develop and we want our ministry to have a heart for the lost and have a love for the nations. We also want to grow in fellowship and service. We don't want to just live in our heads and learn all these great things and just keep them to ourselves. But we want to work that out and serve the people around us and put hands and feet to the gospel if you will. And then the last thing, the fourth thing, is we want you to grow in a biblical world and life view where you learn to take all of life and view it through the lens of Scripture. Now, we want to see those fruits in your life, and the main way that we believe that happens here at RUF, or the main tool or means of grace that that happens, there are others. There's prayer, there's the sacraments, that's why you need to be in the church on Sunday, uh, and there's community. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about is one of the main ways we see that happening is through the Word of God, through the Bible. We see those fruits happen as we interact with God in His Word. 
A few summers uh, ago, I read a book called Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer. And it's by a man named uh, Paul Tripp. And in this book, he tells about a time that he visited northern India. And if you know anything about northern India, it is extremely hot and extremely dry for most of the year. Um, The temperatures can even reach, which has felt that way a lot this summer here, can even reach the 120s. Uh, several days out of the year. And so it is a very parched and barren land. But what's funny is the people that live there, they don't sweat that. They don't worry because they know that the seasonal rains are coming from the south. The seasonal rains called the monsoons are about to come. And when they sweep through and saturate the land, it's like a light bulb goes off. And the ground immediately starts to blossom and flourish. And it goes from being a parched and barren land almost instantly, within a matter of days, to being full of life. And in RUF, we believe that the power of God's Word is no less dramatic. We believe that when we encounter the living God in His Word, that life will flow from our hearts that are often dry and barren. And that's why at RUF, the Word of God, the Scriptures, are central to everything we do in this ministry. And that's why I begin every semester. If you were here the first RUF last semester, you're saying, this sounds really familiar. (laughs) Because I start every RUF semester at the beginning of the year with this passage. 2 Timothy 3. Verses 14 through 17. Follow along with me as I read this passage. Let me remind you, this is the Word of God. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you. And there are many here. Some are extremely lonely right now. Uh, They miss home. They miss their friends. I pray that you would be near to them. Father, some of us uh, are so excited to be out from under our parents' authority that we can hardly stand it. And I pray that you would show them your grace as well. And that they uh, would love the things that you love as they embark on this new freedom that they have at college. Father, we need your spirit. Without your spirit here, these words are just on a page and mean nothing. And so would you, uh, by the power of your spirit, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us, as your word tells us, in all righteousness. Would you do this and would you show us Jesus? Show us our sin and our brokenness. But Lord, in the middle of that, I pray that we would run to you. As our only hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
2 Timothy is actually the last letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it before he was eventually beheaded for his faith, and he wrote it from a prison in Rome to his beloved disciple Timothy, who was facing opposition from these false teachers in the church. And as you can see, it's pretty pretty cut and dry. Paul tells Timothy as he's writing to him, he reminds him that the Bible, that the Word of God, the Scriptures are the very breath, as it says in our passage, breathed out by God, that they are powerful, that they are sufficient, and that they are authoritative. And because this is the Word of God, because the Scriptures um, speak of God and uh, have His authority, this passage teaches us three things or three ways we should respond in light of that. And the first thing is, if you have your outline and you're a note taker, cool. If not, don't sweat that either. But the first thing is we need to submit to the Bible's authority. Look at verse 16. One of the things that Paul tells Timothy uh, is that he can trust his Bible. He can trust his Bible because it is inspired by God. In verse 16, Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And what he's saying is that God is the source of Scripture. That God is the ultimate authority of Scripture. God used the personalities, the education, the background, the talents and abilities of the writers of the Bible. And He guided them through His Holy Spirit so that the words would be nothing less than the very Word of God. And because the Bible is the Word of God, you need to know that it is trustworthy. That this Word can be trusted and it has the full weight of God's authority. And that's scary for us. Because if the Bible has the full weight of God's authority, that means that it is to be our authority in all of life and in all of faith. And I realize that there are probably some in this room that are like, I'm not so sure about this whole idea of the Bible uh, being the Word of God. I'm struggling with that. And you know what? That is okay. You're welcome here, and we want to struggle through those things. And I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about that further. But in RUF, we presuppose that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. And what this means is that it is to inform every area of our life. God's Word needs to inform our relationship with our roommates and the people in our hall and our parents and our siblings. And as it applies to dating, it needs to inform our dating relationships. It needs to inform how we use our sexuality. And it needs to form uh, our marriages when when you get married and and what kind of spouse, uh, husband and wife we are to be. The Bible speaks to all of those things. However, here's the problem. The problem is this, is that the Bible says that we are all born deeply messed up, really messed up by sin because of Genesis 3, the fall and Adam and Eve. That was, trans, that was transferred to us. And what that means is that we have this natural bent in our hearts towards rebellion. There's a part of us uh, that naturally goes that way uh, because of what happened uh, in Genesis 3 in the fall. And what that means is we don't want to listen to anybody. Deep down in our hearts, we don't want an authority. We want to be our own authority. And if we can be frank 
And I like to be frank. If you come to REF, you'll know that. I like to just just get down to business pretty quick. And if we can be frank, a lot of times we have a problem with God. And we might not admit that, but somewhere in our hearts we have a problem with God and His Word. And what that what I mean by that is, yeah, we like God, but we want to compartmentalize God. And we really don't want to have Him take control of every area of our lives. And there's no area where that is more evident than in, in the area of dating, marriage, and sexuality. Because we know God's Word speaks to those things. And what that means is that that can shake things up. And we don't want to hear it because we know that God tells us who we can and cannot date in His Word. And we're going to talk about that this semester. And He tells us what's appropriate to, with our sexuality in the context of a relationship. And a lot of times we don't, that doesn't jive with our heart. And my daughter Kate, uh, she's two as I mentioned, she woke up last week screaming at the top of her lungs at probably three in the morning. I hop out of bed and I run down the hall, but before I can even get there, she's calmed down and already back asleep. The next morning, I'm sitting and I eat breakfast with her and we're sitting at the table. And I says, Kate, what's going on? What happened last night, sweetie? And I said, did you have a bad dream? And she said, yeah, Daddy, I I did. I had a bad dream. And I said, well, you want to talk about it? What was it about? (laughs) You'll like this. She said, Jesus. She said it was about Jesus. And I laughed my head off and I told my wife and I've been telling everybody because I think that's the most hilarious thing. But as I thought about that story, I started to think about how true that statement is and that story is of my own heart. Here's what I mean by that. Friends, so many times, Jesus is my worst nightmare. And you're like, what? Jesus is my worst nightmare. Because Jesus wants to constantly come into my life and rearrange it. He wants to constantly come into my life and shine the light on the dark places of my heart and say, that's not under my authority. You haven't given that over to me. In the most recent area, is he's, I've been so convicted on ministering to my neighbors. It's been two years, and I've never mentioned the word Jesus. And I'm a minister. And God's convicted me. And He's shining that light. And I'm like, God, don't mess with me. I'm comfortable. I just want to go in and hang out with my family. I don't want to talk to anybody else. I'm tired at the end of the day. And so God sometimes, Jesus... It's my worst nightmare. And oftentimes, the reason that happens is because, again, we want to be our own authority. I want to be my own authority. I want to be my own God. I, don't, I want to live life the way I want to live it. And here's the reason why I think that happens. At the end of the day, we don't want to listen to God because we don't think God has our best interest in mind. 
We don't think He really loves us. We're afraid that if we truly lived our life for God and we gave it over and said, God, have everything come into the darkest places of my soul, we're afraid that we would end up miserable, poor, and not having much fun in life. We think that. I think that. But I want to plead with you that that is so far from the truth. And that is so far from God's design. Because if you are a Christian tonight, God has your best interest in mind. You are a child of the King. And you are loved and cherished more than you ever dared dream. And more than you could ever hope. And His Word is meant to be life. It's meant to be a good place for you to go. God is trying to save you through this Word and through setting up boundaries in your life from heartache and pain and suffering that come as a consequence of our sin. And if you don't, still don't believe me that God has your best interest in mind, look at the cross. Look at Jesus. God sent His only Son out of heaven so that we could live and so that we could have life. Jesus is the only thing that makes us right. And Jesus says to every one of us, and He says it to me a lot, Jason, bring that rebellious heart to me and I'll change it and I'll make you love the things that I love. God's Word is authoritative and it's meant to bring life. And the question before you tonight is, will you believe it? Will you embrace that reality? So the first thing is, we need to submit to the Bible's authority and then we need to trust the Bible's sufficiency. Look at verse 16. Paul not only says that Scripture is to be our authority, but he says that it's enough for us. Scripture is enough. Look what he says. Scripture is profitable. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and all that. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy that the Bible is sufficient for all of life. It's sufficient for teaching, rebuking, that whole list of things. And we don't have time to talk about all those, but I want to talk about one of those. And the aspect of correction or rebuking. Uh, And that gets at, the Bible shows us... Where we've strayed, where we've fallen short of following God. And uh, the word correcting here actually comes from the word straight. And so the fact that the Bible corrects us presupposes something about us. It presupposes that there's something about us that's crooked, that's twisted. And that gets back to what I was saying earlier. The fact that we are born deeply sinful, deeply in need of Jesus. Yes, we're created with great dignity, but also uh, born into sin. And what happens is that sin affects the way we view things, and we don't view things rightly. We don't view oftentimes the world around us correctly. And what this passage is saying is that's what this is for. That the Bible comes in and changes your lenses in which you view things and corrects you so that you see things more rightly through through the Word. Uh, I grew up playing Little League Baseball in Kentucky. When I was 10 years old, I got hit in the face with a baseball. You can laugh. I, I'm standing at the bullpen, and the pitcher's warming up with the catcher, and I'm standing on the fence, and they had low fences back then. Yes, it's a long time ago. Now they have these high, and you can't throw the ball out of the, the bullpen. But I was down, and the catcher was right in front of me, 
My friend walks up. I start talking to him. He's on the left. We finish up our conversation. I turn around and boom, right between the eyes, I get a fastball, a wild pitch. And listen, I know people break their nose all the time and they just keep on living. They have a bump on it and they say, so what? Or it's a little bit crooked and they can't breathe or smell real good and they just keep on going. Not the case with me. Listen, I went to the doctor the next day and the doctor said, Jason, this is a quote, your nose is so messed up that you can go play tackle football without pads and you can just ram that nose into somebody's shoulder all you want. I know that's a bad picture. And it's not and it's and he and he said and it's not going to matter because your nose couldn't be broken any worse than it is right now. That's bad. I'm telling you my mom, she told me this last week. She says Did you know I never looked at you that whole time? (laughs) I didn't even know that. She said, I couldn't look at you. That's how bad it was, okay? And I was like, before I had surgery, okay? So anyway, so then he says, the only way you can fix your nose and straighten your nose out is through surgery. The only way, my nose was so distorted, so crooked, that I needed help from the outside in order to straighten it out. And the same is with us. You see, you and I don't have the power in and of ourselves to straighten ourselves out. The only thing that can straighten you out is if someone comes in from the outside and does surgery on your heart. We need a word from the outside tonight, in this semester, in this year. And that word is sitting in your lap. It's the Bible, the very word of God. And we live in a golden age of Christian publishing. There's never been a time when there's been more books written about Jesus and more books written about Christianity. And you know what? That's a good thing. But there's been a cost. And the cost is this, is that a lot of times nowadays people are putting the Bible on the shelf and it's collecting dust and we're going after the next greatest Christian book out there. We're going straight for the Piper, straight for the Donald Miller. And I love those guys, but my point is this, and, and we need those. They've been a service to the church, but my, my point is that God's Word is only, it's the only message of God for us. It's the very words of God, and it's His message to us. And it's, it's so easy to search for wisdom and guidance and all these other things in so many other places rather than going to the Scriptures. But the Bible is the only thing that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the only book that can change us and equip us for every good work. Some of you are here tonight and you're either starting college or you're starting a new semester. Wherever you are, let me ask you this question. This is a question I start every semester. What do you think your greatest need is this semester? What is it you think that you need most this year in your life, spiritually speaking? Let me tell you what you don't need. You don't need another book on how to have a better prayer life. You don't need a more lively praise and worship service. You don't need another accountability group. You don't need a more disciplined uh, or a more uh, structured spiritual discipline regimen. 
What you need is to encounter the living God through His Word. Because that's where the power is. And that is where change takes place. And I'm not saying any of those other things are bad. They're good. Those are all good things. But what I'm saying is what the psalmist says in Psalm 19. And that is, the Bible is the only thing that can revive the soul. And give life to the soul. And because of that, because it revives the soul, and because it equips us for every good work, that's why week after week after week, I stand up in here and I pray and I preach from God's Word. I open up and we talk about a passage because that's where the power is. So not only should we submit to the Bible's authority, but we should um, trust the Bible's sufficiency. And finally, we need to recognize the Bible's story. Look with me at verse 15. The false teachers had been misinterpreting the Old Testament is what was going on. And Paul reminds Timothy of the sacred writings here, or the Holy Scriptures. And what Paul's talking about is the Old Testament. There was no New Testament at this point in time. And what he's saying, he says, he's talking about the Old Testament, which was wise to salvation for Timothy. It pointed to Jesus. And so Paul is saying is that the Old Testament, interpreted properly, points to Jesus. Jesus is the center of God's plan of redemption. Jesus echoes those very words in Luke 24 after he was resurrected. He's on the road to Emmaus. He encounters the disciples. He's having a conversation and he says, Guys, it's all about me. All the scriptures, this whole deal, this whole life, this whole world is all about me. I have two nephews, Gil, uh, who's nine, and Lewis, who's seven. This has been a several years ago, but I'll never forget this. Um, Gil's had his birthday party. Lewis is the younger one, and he doesn't like it because Gil's opening up all these gifts. And as he sees his older brother opening up these gifts, the arms start to fold, the lip starts to come out. He starts to cry louder and louder. And finally, he's crying so loud, all the attention at the party is on Lewis and not on Gil. The, t- the attention was... He was spoiling the party. And his mother walked over, and I'll never forget this. She leans down and looks him in the eye and says, Lewis, it's not about you. This is not your party. And, you know, Lewis wasn't supposed to be the center of attention. He wasn't supposed to open up all the gifts. It was Gil's party. And everything was rightly focused on Him. And so it is with the Bible. It's not, the Bible is not about us. It's not about you and it's not about me. But it's about Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one in whom the whole story comes together. Because it's Jesus who suffered. It's Jesus who died. It's Jesus who rose from the dead so that we could have forgiveness of sin. And I know you're probably sitting there thinking, well, gosh, I sure didn't come to RUF to hear that the Bible's about Jesus. I know that. But let me ask you this. Are you reading your Bible in order to know Jesus better? Or are you reading your Bible as if it were all about you? You know, oftentimes we tend to make it all about us. And it's very subtle. Here's how it happens. You get up in the morning, 
and you start looking for those scriptures that help you with your problem, your issue, the thing that you're struggling with, or you have these favorite verses or favorite passages for what they do for you and how they make you feel. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible speaks to our issues. It speaks to our problems. And there's nothing wrong with having a favorite verse and a favorite passage. I've got one. But the question is, as you read and study your Bibles, are you making it all about you? Are you the main character of the story? Are you trying to draw Jesus into your story? Are you being drawn into His story and into what He's doing in the world around you? And specifically on this campus at Sanford University. His story is a story of redemption. Jesus came to redeem individuals. Individuals that have been bruised and broken and ravaged by sin. And it's only Jesus that can change our cold, stubborn, and rebellious hearts and make them into hearts that delight and love God's Word. But the story is more than just redemption of individuals. Jesus came to redeem the whole world, the whole planet, the culture around us. He says in Revelation 21, Jesus says, I came to make all things new. And so it's not about individuals. It's also, it is, but not only, it's about the surrounding culture. And He came to redeem the surrounding culture, not just with words of truth, but with deeds of mercy and justice. He came to make things straight that are crooked. And friends, my goal and my job as the RUF campus minister is to point you to Him. To point you to Jesus. To point you to that story. I am not here to exalt myself. I'm not here to promote some theological system. But I'm here to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And one of the aspects of our purpose is to reach students for Christ. And in light of that, we believe that God has called the RUF ministry. God has called the RUF ministry here at Sanford to be a part of this grand story that I'm talking about. And we can be a part of that story by announcing the good news of the gospel. To this campus. My desire is that the glory of God would so fill this place and so fill this campus that we wouldn't be able to stand it. That every resident hall from Beeson Woods to West Campus, every classroom, fraternity house, sorority house would be filled with the glory of God. And we long for students to be brought into this story of redemption. And to come with us and experience, to journey with us, to grow with us, to grow in faith, hope, and love. And to long for the day when Jesus will return and make all things new and glorious. Friends, that's RUF. That's who we are. We have a high view of the Bible. We believe that it is sufficient And it speaks to every area of life. 
and has everything we need for life and godliness. We believe that it's our ultimate authority and that we are to live all our life under its authority. And we believe that the Bible points us to Jesus because He's our only hope. And so let me ask you again. What do you need the most as you start this semester in this school year? My prayer is that your answer includes, somewhere in your answer, it includes this book, the Bible. Just as the monsoons brought life to a barren land in northern India, the Word of God changes what it touches and produces something beautiful and fruitful in people's lives. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word.